Lord, how incredible that is to think that we are your beloved. We are the ones that you love. You love us so much, you'd rather die than live without us. You know every wicked, vile thing we've ever done or will ever do, every thought we've ever had. And Lord, you love us anyway. What a gracious God you are. May that comfort every heart that is here tonight, to know that there's an almighty God who loves us. Lord, I pray as we go to your word right now, may you be our teacher. And again, may we be strengthened and encouraged encouraged by your word, Lord. We thank you that it's living and breathing and sharper than a two-edged sword. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome to Calvary Chapel. If you don't have a Bible, you're going to need one. I know we've announced it before, but if you got here late or were, were too shy, raise your hand. Okay, you're going to need a Bible. Turn your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 28, continuing our verse-by-verse study through the Old Testament. Two weeks ago when we, were, we began this chapter, it's a rather lengthy one, so we only got not even halfway through it. So we're going to pick up where we left off last time in verse 29. Last week I wasn't here because my son Johnny graduated from the 8th grade, which is a good thing. Amen. Praise the Lord for that. It's a greater accomplishment than you might ever know. But he did. He graduated. So praise God. All right. It's important that, you be, that I be a dad too. Well, I titled the message, we're just going to pick up kind of where we left off, two weeks ago, is obedience necessary? And it sounds like such a simple question, but, you know, so many Christians today, or so many people that consider themselves to be Christians, or people that are searching for truth, you know, a lot of times we, we go one way or the other. It's either grace, 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 cheap grace, where, you know what, I prayed a prayer and I walked an aisle and I asked the Lord to be my Savior, and so now I can live however I want because, you know, He's forgiven me. And He separates my sin as far as the east is from the west. And you know what, that's true. He has forgiven us and He has separated our sin as far as the east is from the west. But you know what, it says in Romans, Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. The Lord also told us to be holy for I am holy. Now the other extreme is people go to the other, other end and then they become legalistic. And what they're trying to say is you've got to keep every law and if you don't, you're not going to get in. And then there's no more grace anymore. And now it's all you trying harder and you always feel condemned and burned and you can't make it. And you never will. And you'll always be overwhelmed if you're caught up in legalism. So here's the key. He must not just be Savior, He must be Lord. He can't just be the one who suffered and died that we might have eternal life. He must be the one who we invite to rule and reign and sit on the throne of our life. Amen? That we walk with 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, that He's your best friend and you know Him intimately. Well, Deuteronomy, to catch you up briefly, again, is Moses' address to the children of Israel as they're about to enter into the land of promise. Deuteronomy means second law or second giving. And he's giving the law to this next generation, reminding them of what God had spoken from Sinai and all that God had taught the previous generation who disobeyed God, rebelled against God, and dropped dead in the wilderness. That 11-day journey turned into a 40-year death march. They missed out on God's highest. And so now we're coming to the close of of this sermon, if you will, and Moses is speaking to them, and this chapter is really filled with a pretty harsh warning. A very direct message. And what he says is, in the first 14 verses that we looked at last time, he said, if you obey, God will bless you. Now, 
Our motivation, our motivation for obedience should not just be blessing. Our motivation for obedience ought to be our love for God. He says, if you love me, you'll obey me. How do we show our love for God? We heed his word. You know, I'm blessed and ministered to when my kids obey me. And especially if they obey me, not because they're afraid of getting whacked, right? But they obey me because, you know, dad knows what he's talking about. Now, sadly, that doesn't happen as often as I would like. But, you know, I I would love it if my kids would simply go, you know, my dad loves me, my dad knows what's best for me, and I'm going to obey him. Well, I'm I'm a failed dad. Our Heavenly Father is perfect, amen? And so He's got that same heart for us. He said, you know, I love you. I know what's best for you. Walk in obedience to my commands, and you'll have a fruitful and a blessed life. Well, then He picks up in verse 15. So it's interesting. you got 14 verses of obey God and you'll be blessed, and then 54 verses of disobey God and you'll be cursed. Now, a lot of people read these Old Testament passages and they start going sideways. Well, what what kind of God is that? You ever heard that before? I've had people tell me all the time, I love the God of the New Testament, but the God of the Old Testament I can do without. It's the same God, amen? The Old Testament, I love it. You see Jesus on every page. And you see such a clear type and picture of our God who loves us so much. But part of what the law does is a taskmaster that reveals our sin. And as we're going through, we're going to see that this is a warning. He's not condemning them as much as he's warning them. He's saying, now this is a conditional covenant. He started off the first part of the chapter saying, if you, then. If you do this, then this. If you obey me, I will bless you. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved to the glory of the Father. It's conditioned on our response. And so here we have the same thing happen to the children of Israel. If you'll obey, God will bless. If you rebel, consequences are coming. Now, why does he share this? We're going to pick up verse 29 in just a second. He's been sharing this to make a couple things clear. One, that disobedience is not optional. It's not, hey, well, you know, that was good for them, but we're in the land flowing with milk and honey now, so we don't have to trust in God anymore. Remember, they're going to be leaving the desert and going into a land flowing with milk and honey. When does temptation come to get your eyes off of God? When everything's good. I'm desperate for God. I'm in the wilderness. There's nothing to drink. There's no food. He's got to drop food out of the sky. I've got to keep my, I've got to pray all the time. Now there's a land flowing with milk and honey. God, what's his name? Who? God? Who? What are you talking about? I got everything I need. And you know what? We in this country need to make sure we don't fall into the trap of being in a land flowing with milk and honey and get our eyes off of God. We need to stay desperate for the Lord. Amen? At all times, stay desperate. So, the first 14 verses, the blessings of obedience. The rest of the chapter, the, the curses and consequences of disobedience. Remember again, a warning to his children. If they try to do things their own way, Things are going to be difficult. And sadly, as we're going to see, it's also a prophetic picture of the choice they would make. The choice that the children of Israel would make. God would bless them richly, and they would choose to walk away. And you know what? It's a warning for everybody in this room tonight. God has blessed us richly, amen? And we should obey Him completely. Shouldn't even be a debate. Lord, now I know we can't do it without Him. We've got to stay desperate for Him. Without Him, we can do nothing. So we're going to pick up again kind of mid, midstream here. I had no way to really transition this, but to say we're going to pick up now looking at, continuing to look at the consequences. He's already told them some heavy-duty stuff. The same plagues that came on Egypt are going to come upon you if you disobey. 
You were delivered from them because you were walking with me. You keep disobeying like Egypt was. You're going to face the same consequences. We left off here and look at verse 28 and 29. The Lord will strike you with madness and blindness and confusion of heart. And you will grope at noonday as a blind man gropes in the darkness. And you will not prosper in your ways. You shall only be oppressed and plundered continually and no one shall save you. Nice verses to start off with tonight. He said, you're going to be like blind people. See, when we get outside of God's will, we get scales over our eyes. We just want to do it anyway. You'd be amazed. I talk to people sometimes, and you just want to shake them. You look right at them and go, dude, if you do this, do you understand what the... Co- I don't care. I'm doing it. You're going to destroy your marriage. I don't, I don't care. You're going to, your kids, you're, you're going to lose your children. Fine, I'm doing it. And you just look at them and you want to just, you want to just like fast forward their life five years and give them a picture of what it's going to look like. I remember telling a guy, I remember driving all the way to Southern California to talk to a kid in my youth group who was getting ready to leave his wife and three kids for a woman he met at work. I had done their wedding. It broke my heart. And I remember looking at him saying, you know what's going to happen, bro? You're going to be like a man looking for a crust of bread. You're going to be a dry man. And I said, God's going to bring your wife a godly man. And they'll be calling him dad, and your life will be a, dis- a disaster. And then you might say, oh, Pastor Dave, that's not very kind and loving. You know what? You choose to commit adultery and walk away from God, and guess what? Consequences are coming, amen? Because those who the Lord loves, he disciplines. If he didn't care about us, he'd say, fine, go commit adultery. Fine, leave your wife for another woman. Do it. Go for it. No big deal. But he loves us enough and you know what's sad? It's everything I told him what happened has happened. Everything I told him what happened has happened. Not because I'm a prophet, but God's word is very clear. And he's saying that here, you're going to be like blind men. You're going to be groping, you're not going to know what you're doing, you can't figure things out. Have you ever noticed when you're not in the word, and you're not walking with God, how you just can't figure life out at all? And the smallest thing becomes the hugest thing to you now? Why? Because you're overwhelmed by the physical things of life. And he says here, no one will save you. You'll be oppressed. You'll be plundered. You'll have no hope. When the enemy comes, you'll be like a blind man trying to fight him. If you're blind, you're going to be defenseless. And that's what he's, he's, again, exhorting them. No one will save you. You know, rebellion would leave Israel completely outside of God's protection. What had happened every time to this point when an enemy came? God smoked them, right? Enemies came and he went, okay, I'll rise up some water. I'll drop water on them. They're done, right? And the Lord would just take a few men and just wipe out a huge army. And he says, I'm with you, don't worry about it. You get outside of my will, you're on your own. You want to go do it on your own? You're going to be like blind men fighting a mighty army and no one's going to save you. I'm not going to be there if you reject me and you walk away from me. We we will go out and live in purposed sin and then wonder why God allows consequences to come. I don't understand why, you know, I I go out and have a few beers and I'm driving home, I wreck my car and get a DUI. Where was God in that? Hello, right? I mean, I have people tell me this stuff. I'm like, where was God when you were driving to the bar? Where was God when you were sitting in there drinking alcohol when you shouldn't have been? Where was God when you got, you, you weren't paying attention to him? And now here's the, con- this is not God's fault. This is your fault, amen? You're a blind man driving down the road. You left God, no one's going to save you. Oh man, you know, I, I drive, drink and drive. One time I get tagged, God loves you, Amen? He loves you enough to have you get pulled over and get tagged so you can get the consequences of your sin and get right with the Lord. You know what? No people in history have been more oppressed than the Jewish nation. No one. And you know why? 
Because they were the most blessed people in history. Because God gave them so much. He revealed so much of himself to them. He spoke to them from the mountain. Not kind of. He went, I'm God. And they all just kind of went, right? They said, Moses, you go talk to him because we can't take it, right? And God appeared to them. He delivered them. He did miraculous things for them. And they finally said repeatedly, no, we're not interested. And that's why they've been so... Now, should we then look at the Jews in, in, in a bad way? Absolutely not. Are they still God's chosen people? What's the answer? Yes, they are. Does God still have a mighty plan for them? You better believe it. And the Bible says that we are to provoke them to jealousy. They're to see the incredible love we have for God and go, man, we want to know God like you know God. And when we go to Israel, we get a little taste of that. Because I've had Jews come up to me in Israel and say, thank you for being on our side. Thank you for showing up. Thank you for being here. And you know what? If we get out of his will, we're going to be like these blind people. And that's how Israel would be. How is Israel today? They're blind. I'm not talking about all Jews as a people. I'm talking about the Jewish faith. They're blind. They miss the Messiah. And the scales need to be removed from their eyes. The Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Romans, others, Nazi Germany, anti-Semitism. It's worldwide. Why is everybody so focused on this little scrap of land in the Middle East? It's not much bigger than New Jersey. And everything they talk about in the United Nations is Israel. Why? Because God said so. Amen? And because this is all part of God's prophetic plan. But sadly, they're blind. And so too will we be if we walk away from God, if we rebel against God. We'll walk in sin and think it's okay. And that's why we need to stay in His Word, that the truth might be illuminated to us. That we won't walk around blind in the noonday sun. Verses 30-34. through Now watch this battle. Now the battle's going to come. He says, you're going to be blind when you go into battle. And guess what? When you go into battle, blind, you're in big trouble. Look what it says. You shall betroth a wife, but another man shall lie with her. You shall build a house, but you're not going to dwell in it. You will plant a vineyard, but you shall not gather its grapes. So your marriage, your home, and your fruit of your labor will all be taken away. So you get outside of my will. You don't follow after me. You start doing things your own way, living in rebellion, and your family's going to fall apart. Not only is your family going to fall apart, but your home's going to fall apart. And all that you put your hand to will be fruitless, ultimately. That's what he's telling the children of Israel. Does that have an application for you and I today? Guys, if you don't be the spiritual leader in your home, is it going to impact your family? If you don't stand up and, say, and pray for your family continually and intercede on behalf of your wife and your kids and say, for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord, is that going to impact your home and bring destruction upon it? Absolutely. And you know what? If we're, if we're living a life with God out of the equation and even all that we put our hands to, ultimately will be fruitless. Your disobedience will have an impact on your home and your marriage. It doesn't just stop with you. You disobey, everybody around you is impacted. Your ox will be slaughtered before your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. Your donkey shall be violently taken away from before you, and shall not be restored to you. Your sheep shall be given to your enemies, and you shall have no one to rescue them. Now remember in those days that livestock was like material wealth. So for them, when these things were taken from them, it was basically taken away your bank account. Everything you have, gone. Everything you would trade with, gone. The food you would feed your family, gone. Why? Because you're rebelled against God. Because you've taken your eyes off the Lord. You're no longer seeking after Him. And He says they'll be slaughtered before your eyes. They'll be ripped from your hands. Why? Because another army is going to come into your land, and they're going to invade, and they're going to take everything away from you. 
And because you've turned your eyes away from me, you don't have my protection anymore. You don't have my help anymore. I'm not with you anymore. Because you've chosen to do it on your own. Can I tell you that as Christians, we need to stay so desperate for God. Can I encourage you before your feet hit the floor in the morning that you pray and ask God to guide every step? To protect you, to watch over you, to use you for His glory. Can I encourage you that it'll transform the way you live your life. Begin your day with the Lord. Now look at this. You think that's bad enough? Look what it says next. Your sons and daughters shall be given to another people. And your eyes shall look and fail with longing for them all day long, and there shall be no strength in your hand. This is tragic. He's saying, you know what? You rebel against me, you're going to lose your children. You're going to lose your kids. Your disobedience and your rebellion is going to impact the next generation. Your eyes are going to look longingly all day long for them, and they're never going to come back. They're going to be turned away and never return. You know what? This is fulfilled very clearly. What happened when the Babylonians came? They took away their children. When the Assyrians came, they took away their children. When Rome came, they lost their children. There was a child by the name of Daniel, right? He was ripped from his family. Why? Because of the disobedience of his parents. Now again, I don't want to get too heavy. God is a forgiving God and a gracious God, all right? Don't forget that. But, you walk in rebellion and then you wonder why your kids don't want anything to do with you. you don't, you're not a prayer warrior, you're not a man of God, you're off doing your own thing, you're mistreating your wife and your kids like, I don't want anything to do. Why is that? God's warning to the children of Israel is also a warning that applies to our lives. And again, remember, all this was not giving us condemnation, but a warning. Look, you rebel, you're going to lose your kids. You rebel, you're going to lose your land. You rebel, you're going to lose all your material possessions. You rebel, it's going to be heavy upon you. You're going to be a blind man. You're going to be defenseless. No one's going to be on your side. You know what? Experience indeed is the best teacher. But you know what? It comes at a heavy tuition. It's much better to just learn from someone else's experience. It's better to learn from the Word of God than to have to go through it. I've had people tell me, well, I want to experience it for myself. Okay. Not a good idea. Amen? We saw on Sunday, Paul got scourged five times, right? I don't need to experience that for myself. I'm, I'm good with that. Okay, Paul. God bless you. But thank you, Lord. I don't have to do Amen? I don't need to experience that. That hurts. I know that. Not good, right? And too often we think, well, I've got to go, I've got to go drink and party. You know what? Let your kids go experience life. If you hold them too tightly, then they're going to rebel when they get out of your house. If I hear that one more time, I'm going to be sick. That's what the Bible says. Go, tell your kids to go out and get, a, get their fill of sin for a while so then they can find out how vile and wicked it is and then drag them back home when they're all done. Give me a verse for that. Amen? And I've had Christians telling me that. Bro, you know, you've got to be loose, lighten up on your kids. You know what? I'll be honest with you. I think I'm too light on my kids. I think we need to raise our kids and we need to be the ones that make decisions for them because they make bad ones. Amen? That's why they got a mom and dad. They need a mom and dad to say, no, that's not good for you. You know what? No, you're not going to listen to that kind of music. No, you're not going to go to those kind of movies. No, you're not going to. Don't just ignore your kids and let them make the decisions. They'll make the wrong ones. And they'll be hurt. And it'll be your fault. Partially, amen? Because we need to stand up. And here we see this thing. You say, look, you rebel, you're going to lose your kids. And you're going to look up and you're going to long for them and they're never going to come back. And I'll tell you what, he's talking to Israel, but I believe it does have clear application for us. Look at verse 34. So you shall be driven, or verse 33, excuse me. 
A nation whom you have not known shall eat the fruit of your land and the produce of your labor. And it says there, did I skip a verse? I did. Verse 30, uh, 33. A nation whom you have not known shall eat the fruit of your land and the produce of your labor, and you shall be only oppressed and crushed continually. So you shall be driven mad because of the sight which is in your eyes. So he's saying, you know what, you're going to lose your kids. You're going to look for them all day long. They're not going to come back. And he says, you know what, there's going to be a nation that comes from afar off, and they're going to take all that you've worked hard for and rip it from your hands if you disobey me. And that's exactly what happened with Assyria, Babylon, and Rome. Why? Because Israel got to the point where they felt comfortable. They didn't have to be desperate for God anymore. I'm doing just fine without them right now. I think I can just be on cruise control, and it won't be such a problem. But then look what it says. You're going to be so oppressed and crushed continually that you'll be driven mad because of the sight before your eyes. The pain's going to be so severe looking at the results of your rebellion that you won't even be able to look at it. The word there in Hebrew means to play the madman. You're literally going to lose your mind because of what's happening with your family because of the choices you've made. And again, like I said, the, the guy in Southern California, I'm looking at him and I'm like, and he's got three precious kids under the age of five at the time. I just wanted to, I wanted to smack him, I have to tell you. What, what's wrong with you? You've got a beautiful Christian wife who loves you, three beautiful kids who love you. God has blessed you so richly, and you're leaving for another, what is wrong with you? And you know what? A few years later, I'm talking to him on the phone, and he's weeping. And it's too late. May that be an exhortation to all of us, amen? May we not think it's okay to play with sin for a little while and it won't be a big deal. It's a big deal. Amen? It's a big deal every time. Sin has consequences. He said he'd be driving like, been like a madman because the pain is so severe because he lost his spouse. He lost his home. They lost the, all the, they put their hands to. Their children have gone away and it's all because of their own disobedience. The Lord will strike you in the knees and on your legs with severe boils which cannot be healed from the sole of your foot to the top of your head. Ouch. Thanks a lot. Physically, the Lord, now people struck, the Lord struck him with head to toe boils. Yep. Why? Because he loves them. Well, what kind of love is that? Right? Again, sin has consequences. Today may not be head to toe boils, but you know what? Maybe I go out and I'm in rebellion and I get a sexually transmitted disease. Right? You know, maybe I, I drink so much that my liver doesn't work anymore. Maybe, you know what I mean? I go out and I sin and my sin has consequences. And it may not be outwardly, maybe nobody can see it all the time, but God knows. And this is, he's warning the children of Israel, look, rebellion, nothing good. Nothing good. And it's a harsh warning. This is a lot of verses to make a clear point, isn't it? But he does it for a reason. Because he loves them. He loves them so much, he wants to keep them from harm. But he says in verse 36, The Lord will bring you. And your king, and the king whom you set over you to a nation which neither you nor your fathers have known, and there you shall serve other gods, wood and stone. You know what? A disobedient Israel with their king that they had set over them would be carried away into captivity where they would serve the false gods of the land. This is fulfilled in 2 Kings 24, where the kings of Judah were carried away captive to Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar. And you know what? The sad part is that we don't know, we know it's thousands, maybe tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands were carried away into captivity. And when they played the music, 
and told everybody to bow to the idol in Daniel chapter 3, how many people stood up? Three. What happened? Their disobedience got them drug away as a nation into a pagan land where idol worship abounded. And you know what? They fit in with the idol worship. They started going right with it. And when time came for everybody to bow, everybody bowed but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael. They're the only ones that didn't bow. Why? Because we become like those we hang out with. Amen? And this is a warning. You know what? You rebel against me. You and your king are going to be carried away into captivity. May we not rebel. And this should be an exhortation for our nation as well. May we serve God and God alone. Amen? And you shall become an astonishment, a proverb, a byword among all nations where the Lord will drive you. You know what he says here? Your disobedience and rebellion will take you from being the most blessed people on on the planet to a curse word. He says, you're going to go from being the ones, everybody says, oh, their God is God. Don't mess with the God of Israel. Do you remember that there were many times as we were going through Numbers and going through Deuteronomy and right, going through and you'd see them marching along and other nations were like, oh, the Israelites are coming and they'd just be petrified. Balak called for Balaam. We got to get people because Israel, their God is God and he's going to smoke us. We need help, right? And they were like, their God is really God. Why? Because we've seen him at work. And their name would go from me, man, their God's awesome too. Those guys are curse word. They're vile. Let me ask you a question again, not capping on them too hard. How about the Jews today? Don't most people use them, almost speak to them about them derogatorily, right? Don't they? They speak bad about them. Now we never should. The Lord loves them. We're God's chosen people, amen? But again, Why? Because they rejected the Messiah. You know, the same is true for us. When people think about you and they know you're a Christian, do they think, man, that guy's God, that gal's God is awesome. Because I've seen him at work in their life, amen? Or do they say, what kind of God are they serving? Oh yeah, a real big Christian, walk around here moaning all the time, right? What kind of Christian? Oh yeah, their God must be great. All they ever do is whine and complain, right? Can I tell you something? Complaining is a sin. Amen? And I know, I'm sure the only one that's ever done it, right? <laughs> We've done it. But here's the thing. That, that should not be so out of our mouths. Amen? God's in control. God's faithful. We shouldn't be moaning and complaining about stuff. We should be the ones that people say, your God is God. Why? Because I see joy in you. And you know what? The word Jew became synonymous with wickedness and extreme degradation. And it started to be viewed as the most wicked of all nations. It's so sad. They're the most blessed but they miss out on God's highest. You will surely carry much seed out to the field, but gather little in, for the locust shall consume it. Verse 39, you shall plant vineyards and, and tend them, but you shall neither drink of the wine nor gather the grapes, for the worms shall eat them. You shall have olive trees throughout all your territory, but you shall not anoint yourself with the oil, for the olives shall drop off. What he's saying here to Israel is if they were disobedient, their lives would be fruitless. That all they did apart from God would come to nothing. God would send locusts and worms to consume the seeds and the grapes, and the olives would not remain on the tree long enough to be made ripe. You know, we might think we're shortcutting things, and somehow that, that's going to bless us more. Maybe it's in the area of giving. If I just don't give as much, I'll have more to do stuff with. You know what? You'll never come out ahead that way. If I serve God a little less of my time, I don't have to be that dedicate. I don't have to read my Bible every day. And we start taking shortcuts thinking somehow the time we have instead is going to be more fruitful. It's going to be fruitless, I promise you. Seek first the kingdom of God, amen? 
Right? We do that, everything else will take care of itself. We've got to put God first. He's got to be the priority in our lives. And he's telling them, look, you rebel against me, everything you touch will be fruitless. Now you might say, well, Pastor Dave, I know people who are in total rebellion against God, and they seem to be doing just fine. Right? Got tons of money, everything is going great for them. You know what? If you sit down and really talk to that person and examine their heart, there's no peace there. You know why? Because without the Prince of Peace, you can have no peace. Amen? It's Jesus Christ that brings us peace. And they're trying to fill it with the stuff of this world, but yet they remain empty. Verse 41, You shall beget sons and daughters, but they shall not be yours, for they shall go into captivity. A disobedient Israel would have their children, would have children, but they wouldn't be able to raise and enjoy them. They'd be carried away into captivity. And we've talked about that. Into Babylon. Uh, was one of the main things, Assyria and others. Locusts shall consume all your trees and the produce of your land. The alien who is among you shall rise higher and higher above you, and you shall come down lower and lower. During the plagues, the Lord made a distinction between Egypt and Israel. If you remember the plagues that happened that delivered them from bondage, what happened? The disobedient were affected and the obedient children of Israel were not. If you remember one example, Passover, right? They put the blood on the doorpost, right? The blood of the lamb and the shape of the cross. Angel of death passed over, didn't touch them. But those who were rebellion against God, death hit them. Now he's saying, look, you're in rebellion against me, you're like the Egyptians. And so now when the curses come, when the plagues come, you're not going to be set apart from them. You're going to endure them just like they did. That's exactly what he's telling them here. Then he says the alien will be higher and higher. These are the, the foreigners. They would profit off of Israel's, at Israel's expense. And Israel would go lower and lower. And as we're going to see at the end of this chapter, before it's all over, they're going to be enslaved to their master. You know what? We're all slaves. Did you know that? You've got to serve somebody, right? It may be the devil. It may be the Lord, right? You've got to serve somebody. So who are you going to serve? Almighty God? Or are you going to serve the things of this world. We all have a master. He says, He shall lend to you, but you shall not lend to him. He will be the head, and you shall be the tail. Now remember in the blessings, he said the exact opposite to them. He said, if you walk in obedience to me, you won't have to borrow anything from anybody. And I'm not talking about taking out a loan in your house, but you're not going to be so enslaved to debt that you can't serve God. But he says, you walk in rebellion, you're going to be under the water. You're going to be constantly trying to pay off the debts, trying to get out from under, because the alien, the foreigner, the unbeliever will have authority over your life. May we be enslaved only to the Lord. May we not have the golden handcuffs of this world. You know, again, I'm not saying buying a house is a bad thing. I own one. Mine's a mobile home, but I've got one, all right? And the thing is that don't be enslaved to it, though. Make sure you pray. Amen? Don't have a house payment that's so high that it just enslaves you to work in 80 hours a week and you can't do anything for the kingdom of God and you can't spend time with your kids because you're providing a house for them. Your kids don't want stuff, they want you. Amen? They spell love, T-I-M-E. Spend time with them. Amen? They'd much rather have that. Verse 45 and 46. Moreover, all these curses shall come upon you and pursue you and overtake you until you are destroyed because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep His commandments and His statutes which He commanded you. And they shall be upon you for a sign and a wonder and on your descendants forever. Moses makes it very clear to the children of Israel 
as they're about to enter into the land of promise, that while obedience would result in God's blessing, that if they did not obey His voice and keep His commandments and His statutes, the curses and consequences would be upon their disobedience. It would come upon them and it would overtake them. Now remember what He said. Obey and the blessings will overtake you. Disobey and the curses and the consequences will overtake you. If you obey God, you don't have to pursue blessings. God's going to pour them out on you. Amen? And I'm not talking about stuff, okay? It could be stuff, but more importantly, it's going to be just a deeper love for Him, a greater relationship with Almighty God. He's going to bless you spiritually. Isn't that a better way to be blessed anyway? And in the, in, a, in the midst of all of it, if you're a good steward of the things He's given you, He may bless you financially that you might minister to others. I found that those that God blesses the most in that area are the ones who hold lightest to the stuff in their hands. We just want to give it away. How can I help? How can, who can I bless? And God keeps giving them more. It's amazing how that works. But not if they're given to get. God's not dumb. Amen? I'll put money in here and then and, you know, God has to give me some stuff back, right? God knows your motivation. He's, not, he's God. Amen? He knows what you're doing. You can't get over on God. You might fool the pastor, but you won't fool God, all right? And so he says very clearly here again that Israel would not be able to outrun or avoid the blessings of obedience, or the consequences of disobedience. You can't hide from God. And look what it says in that verse, and tell me if we're not seeing this today. And they shall come upon you as a sign in your, and a wonder on your descendants forever. Did the disobedience of the children of Israel, is it still impacting the Jews today? Yes, it is. Thousands of years later. And we'll talk about that more as we move on through the text. But these resulting curses and consequences would remain as a sign of God's wrath and displeasure. Again, they continue even today. It's the most persecuted people in all of history. Not, a, again, an excuse for anti-Semitism because instead we should be the ones loving them more than anybody else. Amen? We should be provoking them with our love for God. They should see the God that we know. We know from Scripture that in the end, what's going to happen with the Jewish people in the end? It's going to be a great revival. Amen? More Jewish people will be saved in the tribulation than anybody else. 144,000 Jews, 12,000 each of the 12 tribes of Israel. It's going to be a great revival. They're going to see Him when they appear. So they're going to realize, finally, many are going to be martyred. You know what? What we ought to be doing now is loving on them and ministering to them so that even if they don't accept it today, that during the tribulation, the word that we share with them will come back to their heart. Amen? That needs to be our heart and our desire to reach out and minister to the Jewish people. Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and gladness of heart for the abundance of everything. Here's the reason why. If you underline verses in your Bible, what is the reason why all of this calamity was coming upon them? Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and gladness of heart for the abundance of everything. What he says here again is it's not just serving Him outwardly. I've heard it said this way. It's like you tell a little kid they need to sit down. I heard this illustration somewhere, I forget where. But he's talking to the child, and finally the child, the 50th time, finally sits down and says, I'm glad to see you're sitting down. Well, I'm standing up on the inside. Right? I'm standing up on the inside. Hey, you know what? We need not to be standing up on the inside with God. It's not obeying Him outwardly, kicking and screaming all the way. That's not obedience. When your kids are told to go up and clean up their room, right? If they walk at the steps and step on every single... That, that's not obedience, amen? They might be going, but they're not obeying. And this is what he's saying. You know what? You need to 
Obey me with joy and gladness. Yes, Lord. It's a privilege to obey you. It's a get to. It's not a have to. I'm walking with Almighty God. What do you, yes, what do you want me to do? Go. I'll go. Why? Because I love you, Lord. I know you know what's best for me. I trust you. And he says, because you have not, because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and gladness for the abundance of everything, therefore you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord your God will send against you in hunger, in thirst, in nakedness, and in need of everything. And he will put a yoke of iron on your neck until he has destroyed you. Wow. He's given the if then. If you will obey God and his commandments and do it with joy, he will bless you. But if you don't, the consequences will come. Now read the very end of verse 47. For the abundance of everything. He said, you know what? Because you had so much, you stopped trusting me. Because you had so much stuff, you stopped being desperate for me. Because you finally got enough money in the bank account where you weren't worried about whether or not the mortgage was going to get paid next month. So you stopped praying so fervently about it. All your kids are healthy right now, so you're not praying as much as you used to. Everything's going good, and in your abundance, you just became lax in your relationship with me. And you know what? God loves us enough to allow the trials to come to get our eyes back on Him. Done cheerfully in light all God done for them. They should have. He del- what had He done for them? He delivered them out of bondage, right? He's dropping food out of the sky to feed them. He's got water coming out of a rock. He's taken them into a land flowing with milk and honey. He's defeated every enemy they've ever run across, and he's walking and he's with them, the clouds above them. They're following God in intimate fellowship. And in the midst of all that, they go, well, okay, we've had enough of this God thing. I can do it on my own now. Make sure... That you don't fall into the trap of thinking because God's been providing for you that you have anything to do with it. Amen? Quit taking the credit. God alone should be glorified. God had done so much. And so it's repugnant to God if we serve Him, but we serve Him with the wrong heart. He wants your heart. Remember this too. Can I encourage you with something? The Bible says out of the overflowing of a man's heart, his mouth speaks. You don't know what's in someone's heart? Listen to their mouth. Words don't slip out of your mouth. Amen? That slipped out. No, it came right from your heart. Amen? And so God's, you know, have a heart for God. How, you know what? How do you have a heart for God? Spend time in His Word. It's pretty hard to have swear words coming out of your mouth when you're singing worship on the way to work. Amen? You're singing praise songs all the way to work. You're not going to cuss at the guy that cuts you off. It's amazing how those things don't happen at the same time. You're not going to go home and rip your wife if you've been in the Word all day. If you've been having prayer time at work, if you've been in fellowship, if you're listening to a Bible study on the way home, you're probably not going to get out of your car and start cussing people out. Your heart will be reflected in what comes out of your mouth. And the heart was being reflected in the way that they responded to the Lord. And if they disobeyed Him, then the the consequences were going to be heavy. We need to move quicker here. I know that. I'm in trouble. I'm finishing this chapter by the grace of God. All right. Verse 49, the Lord will bring a nation against you from afar from the end of the earth as swift as an eagle flies a nation whose language you will not understand. Okay, again, remember this is a warning saying if you do this, then this is going to happen. If you do it, then it's going to happen. Well, guess what? It hadn't happened then, but it has happened now. And it's interesting that it happened three times. Four times, actually, if you want it. Babylon, Assyria, Egypt, and Rome. And guess what? It's interesting to me that the Babylonians and the Assyrians are related to the eagle in Jeremiah and Hosea. In Egypt is related to the eagle in Ezekiel 17. And guess what? When the Roman army marched 
Guess what standard they had in front of them? They carried a banner. Guess what was on it? An eagle. Anybody who was reading the Bible back then in the days of Titus when they started to storm Jerusalem, they could have looked out and saw that eagle banner coming and went, oh, Deuteronomy, here it comes. Right? <laughs> Whoops. Here comes God's judgment. Here comes the eagle I've been reading about, right? And so God said, you disobey, and I'm going to bring a nation from afar off, a nation whose language you don't understand. The Babylonians invaded in 606 B.C. and 586 B.C. The Assyrians invaded in 722 B.C. And then ultimately, Rome invaded in 70 A.D. All of this in total fulfillment of Scripture. Is the Bible always right? Of course it is. And God's promises and blessings are always true, but so are His warnings for rebellion always true. They will overtake you. You can't escape the blessings when you obey, and you can't escape, again, the trials when you disobey. Now, lastly, we're going to see the two worst possible curses coming up. And these are heavy. And these are, you know what? If you're not teaching through the Bible, you don't teach this, this half of the chapter. You know, you're not going to show up with someone. We're going to talk about moms and dads eating their children now on Sunday. And I, you don't do that, right? Nobody does. But is it in the Bible for a reason? Absolutely. Let's read on. This is heavy stuff. Verse 49. The Lord will bring a nation against you. Verse 50, as we know. And it says there, you won't understand his language. A nation of fierce countenance, which does not respect the elderly, nor show favor to the young. Fierce countenance. The word there means strong of face. These guys were fierce looking and they were brutal. In Habakkuk 1.7, speaking of the Chaldeans, it described them, the Babylonians, as dreadful and terrible. In Daniel 7.7, the fourth beast, which represents the Roman Empire, was described as dreadful and terrible and exceedingly strong, with great iron teeth devouring its enemy. Fulfillment of this verse. He says, if you disobey, he's going to bring these people and they're going to be strong and they're going to come against you. And you know what else? They're going to have no compassion. They won't care about the elderly. They won't care about children. They're just going to wipe them all out. No respect for the young. They'll be cruel. They'll be unmerciful. They'll be uncompassionate, regardless of a person's age or sex. Later, it's interesting. Speaking of the Babylonians in 2 Chronicles 36, said they had no compassion upon young men or maiden or old man or him that stooped over with age. When the Babylonians came in, and started in 606 B.C. and started wiping out the children of Israel because they turned to idol worship and God was going to cure them. And the rebellion came. It didn't matter if an old man was walking down the street with a stick, they killed him. And it's fulfillment of, this, of these verses that when we disobey God, we're bringing heavy consequences upon ourselves. The Romans also showed mer- no mercy toward any age out of their hatred for the Jews. Verse 51. And you shall eat, and they shall eat the increase of your livestock and the produce of your land until you are destroyed. And you shall not leave your grain or your new wine or oil or the increase of your cattle or the offspring of your flocks until they have destroyed you. So again, where God had blessed them with abundance as they walked in obedience, their disobedience and lack of joy and their loss of desperation had made what was once fruitful now desolate. Where God had blessed, it was no longer a blessing anymore. Because they'd simply taken their eyes off of God. Verse 52. They shall besiege you at all your gates, into your high and fortified walls in which you trust, come down throughout all your land. And they shall besiege you at all your gates throughout all your land, which your Lord your God has given you. Now it's interesting. He says, the high and fortified walls, what does he say? In which you what? You trust. He said, you know what? When you start putting your security 
in the size of the walls that surround your city, look out. Your faith had better not be in your defense or how many missiles you have. Your faith had better be in God. Amen? And he said, you know what? You guys are going to get so relaxed because you got, well, we got big walls now. We got all kinds of food and vineyards and we got flocks and cattle everywhere. We have nothing to worry about. Nobody can touch us. We don't need to be so fervent in our desperation for God anymore. He says, get ready because destruction's coming. And that's exactly what happened because their walls were broken down. Again, God had given them the land. They didn't obtain it because of their strength. It was by God's grace. And now again, they start to take the credit themselves. And the walls were broken down in Israel by the Assyrians, by Sennacherib in Judah, by Nebuchadnezzar, and again later by the Romans. Every single time they put their faith in their mil- Some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Amen? We should not put our faith... I got a pistol under my pillow. I feel sorry anybody comes to my house, right? You better put your faith in the Lord. Amen? Trust God and know that He alone is the one who protects us. Be desperate for Him. You shall eat the fruit of your own body. Now listen to this. The flesh of your sons and daughters who the Lord your God has given you in the siege and desperate straits in which your enemy shall distress you. How bad is it going to get if they disobey God? You're going to lose all your food, all your cattle. The walls are going to come down. There's going to be nothing left. And you're going to become so desperate, it says in these verses, you're going to eat your own children. Now, does that make anybody else sick besides me? I mean, the thought of that, just, can we go to the next verse, right? You know, but can I tell you something? This shows the depravity of rebellion. When we rebel against God and we harden our heart toward God and we stop listening to God, we get more and more depraved in the very things that we will do. It happens. Don't you get desensitized to sin over time? The more you sin, the more you do it. The first time you did it, oh, I shouldn't have done that. And the hundredth time, no big deal. And, and that's why my prayer for all of us is that we remain sensitive to sin. You know what? Sometimes people give me, I'm very, you know what? I just don't like cussing, period. I don't like it. I don't like it when people say, gosh, dang it. People go, Pastor Dave, lighten up. I say, what's that a substitute for? What is that a substitute for? Come on, Pastor Dave. Man, relax. That's not such a bad swear. You know what? You're cursing my father. I don't like it. Now, I'm not trying to be holier than thou and legalistic. I'm just telling you that it grips my heart when I hear it. And I don't want to get desensitized to it. I don't want to get over it. Amen? I don't want to get over that. I don't, you know, well, how come you won't go to the movie? They're swearing in it. Well, so it's just a little bit. Well, there's a little bit of arsenic in the meal, right? It's a great steak dinner, just a little bit of poison in there. Someone spilled some mercury in your coffee, but the rest of it's pretty good, right? No, I don't want any of it. And you know, maybe not be desensitized to sin. I'm not trying to be legalistic, please, okay? I don't want you to walk out of here, oh man, you know, I can't do anything. No, but don't, if, if you're convicted, don't do it, amen? Don't just say, well, everybody else, I'm going to bust through and just do it. Don't do it. Just say, okay, Lord, you brought that conviction for a, re- a reason. You know what? And I tell you, the depravity had run rampant. And now these guys are eating their own children. Unbelievable. Remember, written as a warning against curses, it wouldn't have happened if they'd simply obeyed, but sadly, you know what? It happened numerous times. When Babylon invaded, and when the Romans invaded, cannibalism was widespread throughout Israel. We'll see a picture of that in a minute. Verse 54. The sensitive and the very refined among you will be hostile toward his brother, toward the wife of his bosom, and toward the rest of his children whom he leaves behind. So the ones tender-hearted will become hostile. 
Isn't that what rebellion does to us? We rebel against God and that tender heart goes away. We rebel against God and we walk in sin. Verse 55. So that He will not give any of them the flesh of His children whom He will eat. But He has nothing left in the siege or desperate straits in which your enemy shall distress you at all your gates. He will hoard the flesh of His children to Himself. How many, how many things are wrong with that statement? Generous and sensitive will become cruel and hostile, feeding on his own children. In A.D. 70, when Titus invaded the leader of the Roman army, he sieged Israel, he burned the temple, 600,000 were slaughtered in the first wave alone, and Josephus writes that the first thing that they did after all their vineyards had been ravaged, all their cattle had been taken, is they ate the dogs and cats first. And when they ran out of dogs and cats, they ate animal dung. Then they ate belts, shoes, and anything made out of leather. I didn't even know you could do that. I guess it comes from a cow. I guess you can eat it. I'm not trying that anytime soon. I've had a steak that tasted like leather before. but. And then eventually, guess what happened? Cannibalism was next. It was a slow thing that went one step, one step, one step, one step, till they got to that point. The tender and delicate woman among you who would not venture to set her soul of her foot on the ground because of her delicateness and sensitivity will refuse the husband of her bosom and, and her son and her daughter. The woman that once was so delicate and so tender and so dainty now will not even share her food with her family. She'll be so self-centered. The woman would snatch the food out of her husband's hands, sons out of their father's mouths, and mothers even from their own infants. Verse 57. Her placenta, which comes out from between her feet, and her children whom she bears, for she will eat them secretly for a lack of everything in the siege and desperate straits in which your enemy shall distress you in all your gates. The word there for placenta can also be young one. This means that she'll go and give birth to a newborn child and eat it in secret so no one else finds out. Do you think these warnings might say, you know, I'm thinking rebellion's not a good idea. You think the children of Israel might say, we're going into land flowing milk and honey. We need to remember. Now remember that he had taken this entire book and they, as we saw a few weeks ago, they put big placards up and he pasted it up where they could see it constantly. It would be a reminder, we rebel, here's where we're headed. We rebel, this is the problems we're going to have. We're going to have broken homes, broken marriages, and the end result is going to be even the eating of our own children. In 2 Kings chapter 6, you guys remember this story? Two women agreed to boil each of their children and eat them. You remember this? One woman boiled her child, they ate it, and the next day it was time to eat the other person's child, and the woman took off with her kid. Which, okay, I, I think that's a good idea, but what were you doing the first day? Amen? And so we see here just that this is not science fiction. This happens. And you know what? Today we might say, well, we're not eating our children. Well, no, we're burning them to death, and it's called abortion. And again, I want to make it really clear. If you're here today and you've had an abortion, God has forgiven you if you've asked Him. Amen? And that child is in heaven. Amen? Amen. But I also want to encourage you that we look at other cultures and say, oh, but wait a minute. We're we're right there with them. You know, in Haiti, we've we've heard about this. They discard their babies and throw them in trash heaps. Babies are born, they take them, wrap them in a bag and throw them in the trash. So we're not far away from this. Amen? We're not far away from this at all. And then lastly, the exile and the dispersion of the Jews. If you do not carefully observe all the words of this law that are written in this book, that you may fear the glorious and awesome name of the Lord your God, then the Lord will bring upon you and your descendants extraordinary plagues, great and prolonged 
great and prolonged plagues and serious and prolonged sicknesses. Now again, he starts off with if and then the consequences. If you do this, consequences. If you sin, consequences. If you obey, blessing. And disobedience to the word, this law being delivered, again, he's saying, if you disobey this law I'm giving you, if you don't fear God, if you have no fear of the creator of the universe, the Bible says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, then what's going to happen? Then there's going to be great sickness and great plagues. The very plagues he had protected them from in Egypt, he would now pour out upon them. And now lastly, look at these curses that would come upon disobedient Israel. Moreover, he will bring back on you all the diseases of Egypt, of which you were afraid, and they will cling to you. Also, every sickness and every plague, which is not written in the book of the law, will the Lord bring upon you until you are destroyed. In obedience, they had escaped the plagues in Egypt, and in disobedience, they would face every single one of them. In obedience, they had been protected and escaped destruction. In rebellion, the Lord would bring sickness and plagues until they were destroyed. Again, you know, can I say this again? I have zero fear of getting AIDS. Zero. Now, I could get it some random way, blood trans... But you know what? You know how most people get AIDS? Sex outside of marriage and IV drug use. Well, I'm not doing that. So I'm not worried about it. Now, I'm not saying I'm holier than thou. Please, don't get me wrong. What I'm saying is if you walk in obedience, you don't have to fear that stuff. Amen? You don't have to worry about it. I'm not worried about getting psoriasis of the liver because I don't drink alcohol. I don't have to worry about some of the consequences of sin. Now, I do have sin in my own life I need to deal with that will have consequences if I don't obey it. Amen? I'm not picking on individual sins, but he's saying very clearly here what will happen if they walk into it. You shall be left few in number. Now, the exact opposite that had happened in obedience. When they obeyed, the plagues missed them. When they obeyed, they were multiplied. Look what he says. You shall be left few in number, whereas you were as the stars of the heavens. In multitude, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God. So because you obeyed, you were fruitful and you multiplied. You disobeyed, you're going to be few in number. From the stars of the sky, you'll be reduced down to a small number. Verse 63. And it shall be that just as the Lord rejoiced over you to do good and multiply you, so the Lord will rejoice over you to destroy you and bring you to nothing. And you shall be plucked from off the land which you possess. Interesting. You shall be plucked off the land which you possess. What happened to Israel in AD 70? Nation was no more. Right? For almost 1900 years, Israel existed without a nation. The people still existed, but there was no land for them. In rebellion, they were remo- would be removed. Again, it was a warning, but it's also prophetic. Can't we see God's word is exactly true? They will scatter you among the peoples from one end of the earth to the other, and then you, there you shall serve other gods which neither you nor your fathers have known, wood and stone. What happened to the children of Israel? They were scattered throughout the earth. And they still are today. Now they're gathering back together, right? They're gathering back together as a nation, and they're gathering together more and more. And that's a picture, again, that the time of redemption draweth nigh. Verse 65. And among those nations you shall find no rest, nor shall the sole of your foot have a resting place. But there the Lord your God will give you a trembling heart, failing eyes, and anguish of soul. You know what? When the Jews were outside of Israel, did they ever find a place where they were comfortable? What's the answer? How to work out in Germany. How to work out in Austria. How to work out everywhere they went. They were ridiculed and persecuted. This is the fulfillment of Scripture. Amen? You've got to realize this is written, 20, this is written almost 2,000 years beforehand. 
more than 2,000 years beforehand. And exactly what the Bible said happened. But again, we need to apply it to our own lives. That there's no peace in rebellion, but trembling and failing and anguish, anxiety. You know what, if, you're, if you have anxiety, and you're anxious, and you're petrified, and you don't know what to do, and you don't have peace, you're not trusting in the Lord. You're not walking with God. You don't need a pill, you need the Lord. Amen? Prozac's not the answer, Jesus Christ is. You know, if you fall in love with the Lord, you won't need that stuff. You won't be anxious, you won't be uptight. What's the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Love, joy, peace, kindness. Do we believe that? I do. God's a faithful God. I believe what He says. They'll serve other gods. They'll have no rest. I know I've gone over your being patient. Last couple of verses. I didn't want three weeks in this chapter, okay? Forgive me, all right? I mean, three, two weeks, I'm just curse, cursing, we need it, but two weeks is good, okay? Verse 66. You shall hang in doubt, your life shall hang in doubt before you You shall fear day and night and have no assurance of life. In the morning you shall say, oh, that it was evening. And at evening you'll say, oh, that it were morning. Because of the fear which terrifies your heart and because of the sight which your eyes see. You know what? When you are in rebellion against God, there's no peace. When it's daytime, you want it to be night. When it's nighttime, you want it to be day. And there's just no peace. There's no joy. There's no relief. And you know what's interesting? I looked up that word hang because I thought, you know, that's got to be in the Bible for a reason. He says, you shall, your life shall hang in doubt before you. You shall fear day and night and you shall have no assurance of life. It's interesting that the word there, hang, is a word that also refers to someone else who hung on a cross. Jesus. Look what it says here. Your life shall hang in doubt before you. You shall fear day. You know what? the Jews' eyes would be turned away from the one who hung before them. And there would be fear. And there would be trembling. But you know what? There is no fear for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation, no fear, right? The fear of God's the beginning of wisdom. We don't have to fear. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be anxious. We don't have to be petrified. Having seen with their eyes the persecution of their countrymen, they would be, again, have no peace and would be trembling. I'm going to be next. They're kind of going to come get me next. But if we have the Lord, we don't have to fear. Lastly, and the Lord will take you back to Egypt in ships. By the way of which I said to you, you shall never see it again. And there shall be offered for sale to the enemies as male and female slaves, but no one will buy you. Now remember, when they obeyed, He took them out of Egypt. When they obeyed, He blessed them. When they disobeyed, He took all the cattle back. Disobeyed, took all the land back. Disobeyed, took all the children back. Disobeyed, went from numbers, uh, you know, like the stars in the sky, down to few in number, disobeyed, back to Egypt and back to being slaves. Everything that God blessed them with was taken back when they disobeyed. Every single bit of it. And it's interesting that guess what? This exactly happened, again in AD 70, that they were put on ships, sent down the Nile in the first century when Titus conquered uh, Jerusalem. He transported Jews back to Egypt, down the Nile, And they brought them out and tried to sell them into slavery and no one would buy them. Gee, imagine that. The Bible's right again. Amen? Obey God with gladness and what will happen? You'll be blessed. You'll have a fruitful life. You'll walk in fellowship with Almighty God. You'll live lives of great joy, filled with peace, with no fear of the enemy or sin's consequences. The impact, you'll impact the lives around you for eternity. Disobey God. Do things your own way. You'll be cursed. You'll live a fruitless life. You'll have no fellowship with God and you'll deal with sin's 
consequences. Again, we're, to live, we're not to live in fe- They'll live in fear. We don't have to. They'll be a bore testimony to the world around them. They'll cause others to blaspheme God. Let me ask you a question. Does God really care if you obey or not? Does He care? Is it important that we walk in obedience? Yes. Does obedience save us? No. Do works save us? No. Are they fruits of salvation? Absolutely. By your fruit, they shall know you. By your works, they shall know you. Amen? That's how they'll know that our lives have been changed. So yes, He does. Obedience is the highest form of worship. It keeps His children from harm. It allows us to live joyous and fruitful lives. And again, walks don't produce salvation, but they are fruit of it. So I'm going to close with this. Just choose today whom you're going to serve. Next time the enemy comes and says, it's not a big deal if you disobey God. Just go for it. Think about Deuteronomy 28. Amen? Oh, not good, right? Amen? Go read it. And you get halfway through. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I don't have to do that. Your friends are worried. Come on, dude. Let's go out and have some beers afterwards. That's cool, man. Hey, let's go to the let's go to strip club. Let's just go. It's no big deal. Hey, go read Deuteronomy 20. No, I'm not going. I'm, I'm going to stay here. I don't need to go, right? I don't want all this stuff that happens when I walk in disobedience to the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that tonight again we'd be encouraged. Lord, that walking in obedience to you, there's no other place to be. Lord, there's no other place to turn. There's no, no, nowhere else that we can go for, to, that will bring joy. Sin is pleasurable for a season, but in the end, Lord, it leads to destruction. Father, I pray for all of us that we would not obey you so we can get, but we would obey you because we've already got. You've already blessed us. You've already poured out your love upon us. Lord, may our obedience be an act of worship not trying to, ha- to finagle more out of you, Lord, but just to be thankful for what you've already done. Lord, we love you and we praise you, Lord. And I just pray that our lives would be set apart, that you might be glorified in them. Not that we would be glorified, but you would be glorified. That you would draw others unto yourself. So, Lord, we love you and we praise you and we thank you for your word. We thank you that you love us enough to discipline us when we need it.